Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Good morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, my name is Gary, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I especially want to welcome you. Um, uh, a few things to let you know about before before we jump into Scripture this morning. Um, so, as you heard, we are leaving for camp. There's a, a large group of junior high and high schoolers and their counselors leaving for camp this afternoon, so be in prayer for that. Um, this is our last Sunday before before the week after Labor Day that we're meeting at 11 o'clock. So remember that, 10 o'clock next week, 10 o'clock all the way through August and Labor Day weekend, and then we start back up at 11 o'clock um, with our Sunday school program. So there's no Sunday school next week. Um, we'll, be, we'll be breaking for that. So uh, remember that, because as I was saying in Sunday school, one of the great things about when, uh, when we switch is some people always forget and they show up at 11 o'clock right as the service is getting over. And none of you really see that, but whoever's up here preaching gets to see that, and then they will heckle you as you come in. Um, so, so be aware of that if you don't want to get heckled, I guess. Um, actually, oh, that's the other thing. Next week, um, how many of you remember we had, last year we had an intern by the name of Caleb Beefus? Um, from Costa Rica. Uh, he will be back with us next week and he will actually be preaching with us. Um, so some people are excited about that. <laughs> okay, you can clap for him now, but when he gets here, you should boo him or something, you know. As soon as he walks up, hiss, you know. Uh, no. So uh, we are going to be, we're going to be in, uh, beginning in Matthew 11 this morning. Um, Again, if you're visiting with us, this summer we've been, um, we, we've kind of been doing something a little bit different. Um, at the beginning of the year, we always uh, make available Bible reading plans for you. Um, and we've been going together as a church so that we, we together are, are reading through God's Word together. And um, it's, it's pretty neat to, to have conversations around what we've been reading. And throughout the summer then, during our, our sermon time, we have been just taking one of the New Testament passages from, from our weekly readings. And so Matthew 11 will be, uh, will be that reading. And if, and if you haven't been doing that and you'd like to get started and jump in with us, there are little yellow foldable things out in the back. Uh, just pick one up after the service. We'd love to have you join along with us as well. Um, as we begin, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we just want to thank you for a new day. We thank you for the life that we have in you. We thank you for the love that you give us. And it's our prayer this morning that as we've read and as we've, as we've sung about, that we may know and grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. God, this morning, may we know that love that surpasses knowledge, surpasses understanding, be filled to the fullest measure of your goodness. We pray this in your name. One more thing before we get to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, so Pastor Jim is gone this week. He is driving um, his the, the Ward family down to Tucson. Um, Kevin and I are gone this week. 
at camp. So nobody hurt themselves, get in the hospital or anything like that. Nobody die, please, because um, we're all gone. So, uh, But the secretaries will be here and Susie will be here. So if you really need something, um, they will be around. And, and But yeah, don't die this week. Uh, I don't know what I'm... <laughs> well, let's hope... <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 11. Well, let's get serious here. Uh, so, within each of the Gospels, there's, there's this underlying question. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And within each of the Gospels, there's, there's really this underlying question that, that gets asked and that, that the writers are wanting their readers to ask and understand. Um, and that is, who do you think Jesus is? Who was Jesus and how will you respond to him? And they write these gospels. And so th- this is why we have four of them. Because each gospel gives a little bit different slant, a little bit different perspective on who Jesus was. Um, the, and so, so Matthew presents his gospel and he's trying to communicate uh, a certain thing about Jesus. Mark writes his. And, and the underlying question is, who is Jesus and how will you respond to him? How will you receive him? And this, this gets carried out, and we see this play out in the stories of Jesus himself, in the interactions that Jesus has with his, with his disciples, with the Pharisees, with, with the people that he meets along the way. Um, and, and so we see this story play out, but then the question is, for, with each of the writers, is, is how will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus? And in Matthew chapter 11... We have, we have a really pivotal point in Matthew's gospel where he's, where he's, he's writing about Jesus and he, and he, and he gives a, quite a, a lengthy speech, a sermon from Jesus. But within that is this question. The, the way that it's tied together is this question really for us, the readers, as well. How will we respond to Jesus? Who is Jesus for us? And so in Matthew chapter 11, he talks about uh, some people who, who come to Jesus with questions, the disciples of John the Baptist. Um, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Um, he talks about those who received his gospel willingly, who received the good news that he was preaching. And then he talks about those who, who reject it, who want to have nothing to do with it. And, and the question that we're really left with is, is which side are we on? Do we, do we accept, do we receive, or do we not? Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At the end of this sermon, Jesus says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
his light. I want us to reflect this morning uh, on, on these verses and what is Jesus saying here. Um, an interesting thing happens when you, when you uh, when I am preparing for a sermon at least I won't say when you are because I don't know how you do it but when I uh, when I'm uh, getting ready to, to teach on a passage uh, usually what I'll do is I'll go and I'll, I'll study the passage and I'll write down some notes and kind of here's some thoughts that that I feel like this is maybe what what the Lord is saying through through here um, but usually what I'll do then is I'll go and I'll, I'll check it with some commentaries because oftentimes you can go through that and, and all of a sudden you find that like nobody else has ever said what you are thinking right now. And so maybe you're wrong, you know. You know, it, it, obviously it could be no one's ever thought of it before and they're all wrong. Who knows? But generally when, when you come across a passage like that and, and you see everybody else is saying it says this and you're thinking it says this, you're, there's a chance. I mean, I'm not too proud. I can I can admit when I'm wrong, and I say, okay, well, I got to think about this different. So, um, so sometimes that that happens. Sometimes uh, you look at a commentary, and everybody kind of agrees. This is what this passage is saying, and and you kind of agree with that too, and and you're good to go. Um, sometimes you you'll get differing opinions based on maybe the theological perspective, and so some some theologians or some commentators will say one thing, some will say I know these people say this, but I disagree, and you kind of have to reconcile the two or, or find a way to which which one seems like the stronger argument. And then sometimes you come across a passage where all of the commentators, all of them disagree, or some of them just say we don't know what this is trying to say. And those are always the fun ones to try to preach on, because then you have to, then you can just say whatever you want, or, no. Um, no, but uh, it's, it's, uh, this is one of those passages, actually, um, in which some commentators say this, some say this, and then others are, are more willing to say, you know, there, there are several options for what Jesus is talking about here, but we're, we're not, we can't really know for sure. And so as we look at this passage, I, I, I want to sort of make a disclaimer about that then, that, that uh, this, this is one of those passages that a lot of people say, we're not quite sure what Jesus is saying here. So uh, this, this is my understanding of this, and this is, this is kind of how I see this, what Jesus is talking about here, but, but feel free to disagree with me and we can talk about that. And that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture and the body of Christ is that we can, we can come together and talk about it and learn from one another. And so um, I just want, I thought I should give you that disclaimer that, that these are my thoughts on this. Um, and I, I, think we're, I think we're going somewhere. So stay with me. Okay. Um, so Jesus, Jesus says this. And here's, here's the thing that people disagree about. What does Jesus mean when he talks about, uh, take my yoke upon you? Uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, let me show you a picture of a, of a couple yokes. Um, we can get the lights down so we can see that better. Um, so a, a couple kinds of options for, for what a yoke might be or how they might have understood what this. So there's the one here that, that would have been for um, sort of pack animals or, or um, oxen or horses or whatever is you're using to plow the field. And it's, it's, usually, it's two animals that are yoked together and they, and they work together to, to plow the field. And, um, and then on the other side is, is more of a human Yoke, and that's a, a one-person thing. That's obviously buckets for carrying water or whatever you need to carry, um, and you would put it on your shoulders or maybe balance it on your head or however you do that to 
to get there. So a couple, a couple ideas, but a couple things. Okay, Cliff, you can uh, bring that back up. A couple ideas from from what these might be. So uh, one of the ideas is is the idea of a burden, a, a yoke as a burden. And so, uh, for example, I'll just Second uh, Chronicles chapter ten. You can turn there if you want, um, or I will read it for you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 10, this is, this is immediately after Solomon, uh, King Solomon has died and his son Rehoboam is, is taking over the throne. And so, 2 Chronicles chapter 10, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. So he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. And so uh, what they're saying to him when they say, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, is, is your father made us work hard. We were oppressed under your father. He, and, and so the, the story is that Solomon uh, was was wealthy and had riches but, and and built the temple but he also he also used, built these things on the back of of the people of Israel um, and so when they speak about your father put a heavy yoke on us your your father was oppressing us your father ma- made our lives difficult your father made our lives difficult and so they ask uh, please lighten the load um, and this was this kind of language was continually used throughout uh, sort of the, the Hebrew language, the Hebrew uh, conversation. And so as, they, as the people of Israel were, were taken off into slavery and captivity, it was referred to as the yoke of the Babylonians. And even as they are under Roman captivity now and, and occupied by Rome, there is this conversation of throwing off the yoke of the Romans. And those, those people that wanted to fight to, to liberate Israel from Ro- the Roman armies would, would talk about throwing off the yoke of oppression from the Romans. Uh, so so here's, uh, when, when Jesus is questioned, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Part of that question is, how do we respond to the yoke of the Romans that, that is on us? Do we, do we throw it off and not pay taxes or, or should we? Uh, Another option, for, so so that's one, and and I think that really is is the the one that we're holding. I think would be the the picture of what a yoke would be. Uh, the other option would be this: the yoke. Another thing that was referred to as a yoke was the yoke of the law, the yoke of the Torah, the the instructions of God was referred to as a yoke, and this was actually referred to as a, a good yoke that that you would want to put this yoke upon you that that you that if you were were a good Hebrew that you would take upon yourselves the yoke of the law and that you would you would follow it connected with that then is would have been the the rabbis the teachers would have also had a yoke and so uh, if if you were going to go study under this certain rabbi if you're going to go study under Rabbi Hillel or Shammai or some of the other rabbis around the first century uh, you would take upon yourself the yoke of Hillel to take upon yourself so it would have been their specific teachings 
around the law. Their specific instructions of how you live out the law would have been that specific rabbi's yoke. So, and I think, I think then that, that gives us the picture of the, of the, the two, the, the two horses or the two animals together, right? That you would take, that there, there's the one who knows what he's doing, and then there's the other one who comes along and is attached to that one and, and moves along and learns from, from that one. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, I think, talks about this kind of yoke in Matthew chapter 23, if you want to turn over there. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up a heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So here, they, they are tying up other people to their yokes. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of the garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Um, And I I think that when Jesus refers to a yoke here, I think this is what he's talking about. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, take, take my teachings upon you. Take, take the instructions that I give to you um, upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of the Pharisees is a heavy, heavy burden. And he says, take my yoke upon you. There's a common theme here, and this is why I think this is connected. Jesus, at the end of here, he talks about uh, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus says in verse 29 of chapter 11 that we've looked at, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And the idea here is really the idea, the, the connection, the difference between the yoke of the Pharisees and the difference between the yoke of Jesus is, is humility. And how he approaches it. Because I think we, we all have this desire to draw, to lift, to pull ourselves up before God. And this is what the yoke of the Pharisees was really trying to do. To make themselves something in God's sight. To make themselves something in the sight of all those around them. And so they, they love to stand and they love to, to be called rabbi and they love to be praised for how spiritual they were. And Jesus says, this is, not, this is not what you are to follow. This is not the example you're supposed to live. He says, take my yoke upon you. I think, and so 
so there's there's this one aspect of the Pharisees, but I think this this strikes true for a lot of us. I think we all have this desire to be seen as something special. Whether it's before one another or before God. And so we do things to earn God's love. We do things to earn God's favor so that, so that we, we, maybe it's the amount that we come to church or the amount that we serve in church or the amount that we give or, or whatever it is that we're doing. We want people and we want God to, to be pleased with what we have to offer him. Um, and and there's, a, there's a side of this where this is, this is good motivation, right? We should, we should offer pleasing and good gifts to the Lord. But we're not doing it for, for us so that God says, Oh, I'm really glad I have Gary on my side today. Uh, we're doing it be, as a response to what he's given us. And the yoke of the Pharisees is about is about me. It's about, it's about what I'm doing for God. Isn't God pleased with what I have to give him? The yoke of the Pharisees is here are the things that you can do to earn God's favor. Here are the things that you can do to earn God's love, to, to, to make him want to like you more. And we have this tendency uh, Inside and outside the church, whether, whether we call ourselves Christians or not, to think that somehow the things that we do are going, uh, to, are going to make God love us more, make God care about us more. And Jesus says, uh, take my yoke upon you. And, I, and, and we live in a world where the... This is so, I, and I'm speaking from, from, my, from my own experience here. Um, the expectations that others have for us, or the expectations that maybe we have for ourselves, uh, are, are a weary burden to carry. It's, it's a heavy load to try to meet up to, to all the expectations that someone has for us. It's a heavy load um, to try to feel like we have to earn the right to be valued and loved. It's a heavy load to be weighed down with our past sins and our past failings. And, and, and time and time again, we see ourselves miss the mark. We see ourselves fall short. Bless you. We see ourselves uh, just not quite get it right. And I don't know about you, but, but I feel like I am often my harshest critic. I know more than anybody else the ways that I screw up. And it's a heavy, heavy load to carry those things. And so Jesus says, 
Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this about Jesus. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He came to offer peace from all of this striving to be something, to make a name for ourselves, to be important, to be valued, to be worthy. He came and offered us peace from all of that, that we don't have to do that anymore. We do not have to find a way to make ourselves worthy of being loved, that we are already worthy of being loved. And he came and offered us peace and rest from the striving and striving under the yoke of our, of our own need to be worthy, of our own need to, to create a name for ourselves. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul puts it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, let's actually go back to verse 16. So now, from, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regra- regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And here, the, the Greek here actually says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. It's, it's an exclamation mark. If your Bible doesn't have an exclamation at the end of that, put one in there. Because that's, this is what Paul is saying here. If anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new person in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I am making you into a new creation. I am making you into a new person. You do not have to rely on your own works, your own deeds, to earn God's favor. You do not have to rely on your own works and deeds to be valued and loved and counted worthy. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter what other people have to say about you. It's not about that. You are loved. You are worthy. God has chosen you. God loves you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Not you will be someday. Not when, it, come to Christ and then kind of try working all your, your problems out. And once you can kind of get to a point where you maybe sin less than you, than you do things right, then you are a new creation. Not, not, not any of that. If you are in Christ, you 
are a new creation. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That God in Christ is not counting your sins against you. He's not counting. He's not looking at them and saying, okay, we'll take care of this one, this one, this one, this one, but these ones are really bad, so you're on your own over here. In Christ, God is forgiving all of it. All of it. So we implore you, be reconciled to God. Just just receive it. It's all that it takes. God is not counting your sins against you. God is not counting your sins against you. And so we implore you, as a new creation, receive it. Receive it. And so here's, here's the secret. Uh, if you looked in the bulletin, my... Uh, the title of the sermon is The Secret of the Easy Yoke. Turn back to Matthew chapter 11. There's, it's a really big secret, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> but it's not a secret anymore, I guess, when I tell you. So, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. He's, this is the beginning of what Jesus has said here. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Uh, just as a side, do you guys say learned or learned? 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 It sounds too fancy to say learned. Um, anyway, that's silly. Okay. Uh, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. What is Jesus saying here? He's talking about, really, he's talking about his disciples. Uh, it's not necessarily talking about just, like, if you're under 13, this makes sense for you. If you're older, then uh, it's hidden from you. This isn't what he's talking about here. But what he is talking about is this, that, that to, to receive this easy yoke, to receive uh, this reconciliation to God, to, re- to become a new creation, it does not require any special education. It doesn't require any special learning. You don't have to go to a Bible college. You don't have to, you don't have to be, go into a certain profession. It doesn't, it's, it's not, it's not for the spiritually elite to receive this. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to receive it. You just have to accept it. And so it's for, it's, it's simple. I mean, we, this last week we've been here and, and three and four year olds that understand this idea that God loves them and have received and, and are part of the new creation. 
three and four year olds. It doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to be super smart to understand this. It doesn't require step after step after step. And, and once you get through all of that, then, then you're a part of the new creation. It's the, it's the simplest thing. It's the easiest thing. Look what Paul says. This is the last passage I'll make you turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's, it's so simple. It's so simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where are the wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who God, whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. This is great. Paul tells Think of what you were when you were called. Most of you were pretty dumb, is essentially what he's saying here. But he, he kind of makes it sound nicer, you know. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. It is, it's, it's a foolish, foolish thing that God would accept you just as you are. It's a foolish, foolish thing to believe that, that this, this man who, who people thought might be the Messiah went to the cross and that somehow in his dying on the cross proved to everybody that he was the Messiah. Listen to this. Paul, I've, I've, we've said this before. A crucified Messiah in the first century, when, when, when Paul is writing, a crucified Messiah was a failed Messiah. Because they believed that the Messiah was going to come and overthrow the yoke of the Romans. This is what they understood the Messiah was going to do. And Paul says, we preach Christ, we preach the Messiah crucified. This is a Messiah. That he he went to the cross and that it was in the cross that he was victorious. This is a foolish, foolish message, Paul says. But it's, it's the power of God. This is what God was doing. That in this, and in this simplicity, it's power for those of us who, who get it right, who, who get all the doctrine, doctrines right. 
It's power for us who, for, for those of us who, who live super spiritual lives and, and can, and attend church and, no. It's power for us who believe. That's, that's it. That is the easy yoke. Faith in Christ. To just, to just trust that it's true. We don't have to understand it. We don't, have to, we don't have to have all the details figured out. We simply have to come to him in faith. To say yes. And, and that's it. You don't earn it. You just accept it. This is what Jesus is talking about, I think. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is, this is foolishness, and yet it's... It's there for each and every one of us. And what I want, if, if you take nothing else from, from what I've said this morning, it's this. God loves you. God doesn't, God, God loves the person that you're going to become someday. But God loves you right now just as you are. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's not waiting for you to somehow become a little bit more spiritual or to stop, to stop committing that sin over there. And then he'll love you. You are worthy and valuable just as you are. And that, that's, true if, that's true if you have never put your faith in Christ. And that's true if you've been a Christian for 50 years, 60 years. God loves you now, today. And, then, and I, the reason I say that is because uh, within the church, we, we share that message to people who, who, are, who don't believe yet. We share that message that, that yes, God loves you and God, wants, God accepts you just the, the way you are. But, but as we... Sometimes as we incorporate ourselves in the life of the church, we can sometimes feel like there are more obligations to earn God's favor again. That, that there are those within the church that are the really spiritual ones that God really loves. And we kind of feel like, maybe I'm not quite there yet. It's, it's a lie. This, and, and this is why it's so hard. This, I mean, this is why Jesus talks about the easy yoke. And this is why I think it's a secret, because we forget it. We lose sight of the fact that God loves you. God loves me right now, today, who you are. He's not waiting for you to become somebody else before he's going to love you. He's not waiting for you to figure this stuff out or to, to reconcile this relationship. or All those things are good. When Paul, Paul says other places, now that you're a part of the new creation, don't go back and live like you're a part of the old creation. Like there, there, there's room for discussion on, on uh, walking with Christ and, and making right decisions. But God loves you even when you don't make the right decisions. God loves you now. This is for you. Be reconciled to God. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. 
You are loved. You are worthy. You are valuable. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about you. It's, it's true. God says it. God says that he loves you. And it, if you get nothing else today, no, 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 that God loves you. Let's pray. God, we, we struggle to grasp, again, how high and wide and deep and long your love is. It seems foolish that you could love us despite the many ways that we fall short. And yet you do. God, whatever burdens are weighing down on us this morning, the things that we have been trying to hold and carry ourselves, we give them to you. We want the rest that you have to offer us. We want to know that we are valued because of who you are and what you've done for us. We pray that um, as we close this morning, uh, I, I want to invite Any of you who are here that may have never um, put that faith in Christ and the work that he's done to do so this morning. Um, And as we close, I want to close with the the prayer that we read earlier from Paul. And I just want to, again, make this my prayer for you and hopefully your prayer for for each one here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high And deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen.